everyone. Welcome to Christian Life Broadcast. So great to have you back with us. This is a ministry of Christian Life Center, and we are located on 5200 Beltaire Parkway right here in beautiful Palm Coast, Florida. And we can testify at Christian Life Center that the Christian life is indeed the best life. What a weekend we have had at Christian Life Center. Mighty moves of God tremendous flow of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit in operation, the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We had four people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues this weekend. For the first time, the power of God filled them, and they began to speak with other tongues, languages that they did not understand, did not learn previously. They spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost. And in addition to that, we had two people get baptized in Jesus' name, for the remission of their sins, according to Acts 2.38. If you saw the last episode, we've been doing, uh, we are we are in the middle of a series about what makes us different, what makes us different. And then our last episode, we talked about how we teach, according to scripture, that baptism is not optional, it's essential, and it must be done in the name of Jesus Christ. And so two people were baptized last week where there was such a spirit of victory and power and uh, we, we enjoy Jesus around here. And so today, it's my privilege, again, to bring to you uh, uh, a topic of what makes us different. We are different than every other church in Palm Coast. You can pick churches uh, like Flavors nowadays, and depending on your personality, what you want, if you like low-key or, or something more exciting or traditional or, or contemporary, but... Uh, we are very, very different. And the thing I want to talk about today about what makes us different is that we believe that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence that you have been filled with the Spirit of God. How do you know if you have received God's Spirit in your heart? And I'm here to tell you, you will know when you speak with other tongues, tongues you did not learn beforehand, tongues you do not understand. And I want to talk about that today. We don't just um, believe that for no reason. It's not a tradition. It is absolute the scripture of God. And we're going to get into that today. And I, I enjoy comments. I enjoy feedback. If you've got some questions about this, please put them in the comments. Uh, if you would like something discussed, please put it in the comments. We read them and we will incorporate them into these broadcasts and make it very interactive. That's my favorite thing to do. So I want to begin with Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9. This is an Old Testament prophet, a very messianic prophet, and he tells us in Isaiah 28 and 9, whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Knowledge and doctrine, the foundation. Them that are weaned from the milk, that are and drawn from the breast, this is people that are no longer babies, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So when you have knowledge, when you have doctrine, when you have stepped away from being a spiritual baby, so to speak, them that are weaned from the milk, drawn from the breast, when you understand precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, watch what happens. At the end of verse 10, there's a colon. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. 
And this is the refreshing. I want you to remember that word, refreshing. Yet they would not hear. And so the prophet Isaiah, through the mouth of God, is teaching us that when you receive knowledge, when you receive doctrine, you, when you really begin to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul said to Timothy, there is an end result to that that, that is demonstrated supernaturally with stammering lips and another tongue. Okay? And so, so we believe at Christian Life Center, according to scripture, that something outward, something tangible, something evident, something vibrant is supposed to happen when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You are going to know, not just because of your heart, not just because you say, I have faith and I believe and it's done, something audible, something visual, something uttered will occur when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's dive into it. Let's dive into it. So in John chapter seven and verse 37, Jesus lets us know that there is a separation between the first step of salvation, believing and the infilling of the spirit. These are not simultaneous events. These are different moments These are different steps in the salvation process. Watch what it says. John 7, 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, so there's a way to believe on him as the scripture hath not said. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly or innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So if you believe on him according to scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, you're not just taking one verse and one part of the scripture and basing your entire doctrine of salvation on that. You're taking line after line, precept after precept, here a little, there a little. You're forming the big picture of what God's saying. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now this is so interesting because the other writers, the other New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they talked about what Jesus did a lot. They give us records of his doings, of his acts, of his working. But John, possibly the closest disciple to Jesus, could tell you what Jesus was thinking when he said something. And he puts in parentheses here in verse 39, John 7 to 39, but this spake he, in parentheses, this is John clarifying, but this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. If you believe on Jesus Christ, you are supposed to receive the Holy Spirit. Something is supposed to happen and it's gonna be like rivers of living water flowing out of your life. So this is a, this is a powerful, powerful revelation that there's more to being saved, more to being filled with the Spirit than just saying, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's my personal savior. And at that moment that you say you believe, that belief enters your heart, you are saved. The Bible teaches us something very, very differently. I want you to look at Acts chapter uh, eight. I want to separate this believing from receiving. It's different. The scripture teaches us it's different. 
Um, just to give you kind of a background on this chapter, Philip, uh, one of the deacons, Philip went down to Samaria and the Bible says he preached Christ unto them. The whole city with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake and, and seeing the miracles that happened, people were delivered from demons, people were healed in their bodies and they believe, they believe on Jesus Christ. They believe with one accord. It was a great revival. The whole city with one accord believed. It talks about a, a sorcerer named Simon who believed. And, and then it says in verse 14, Acts chapter eight, verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. So not only does it say they believed, it said they received the word of God. Now, according to most churches, they're already saved. They have already received the gift of the Holy Spirit because they believed and they received the word of God. But watch what the Bible actually says. Who, when they, Peter and John, were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them. They had believed, they had seen miracles, they had received the word of God, yet none of them had been filled with the Spirit. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands, the apostles, Peter and John, on, the, on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Receiving the Spirit happened at a later moment than believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They were not saved when they believed. They were saved when they were filled very, very different moment. So we're, we're going to dissect this today. And I, I tell you, this stuff is my favorite topic to talk about because it's so simple. When you, when you read the word of God and you see with an honest heart, it's so simple. You do have to step away from tradition. This is going to challenge you to step away from tradition. It's going to challenge you to step away from the, the church world you have to step into the scripture. But I want to tell you the best life you can live is the scripture life. It's the life that Jesus has ordained in the power of his, his spirit. So let's, let's, uh, let's examine this. So we're going to go, I'm going to show you kind of the Old Testament parallel where um, God established a, a precedent. So when you go to Exodus 32, is, Israel has been brought out of Egypt. Egypt represents a type of the world, a type of bondage, a type of spiritual slavery, they were physically in slavery then, but it was a representation of spiritual slavery. And, and so God brought them out of the world to bring them into his covenant. You have to be brought out before you can be taken in. And, and so uh, as they came out, they, they, uh, they were following Moses. Moses goes up into the mount. This is after the Passover, this is after they were delivered from Egypt. And now um, Moses is in the mountain and, and Aaron is being pressured by the people. They want to build a golden calf. I think Moses is gone. Moses is up there receiving literally the word of God, the law of God from the mouth of God. God's writing on tables of stone. And, and now the children of Israel are pressuring Aaron. They're saying, hey, build us a calf. And, and he ends up doing it. They build a calf. Moses comes down and in the fury of righteous indignation tells them you have sinned and, and God 
led them. I want you to read Exodus uh, chapter 32 and 27 with me. He said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor and the children of Levi, watch, did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. So when the law was first given, the sin of man was exposed and about 3,000 people died. But thankfully, that was not the fulfillment of God's promises to us. That was the initiation of God's promises to us. That was the Old Testament template for a New Testament spiritual reality that we would walk in. Jeremiah prophesied about this in Jeremiah 31 and 33. And he's putting this in contrast to the law of Moses. He said, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So before that law was written on stone, but now it's going to be written on the heart. Paul talked about this, this Holy Ghost inside of us. It would either accuse you or excuse you. There's no longer a, you don't have to walk around with a piece of paper saying, okay, can I do this? Can I do that? What do I have to stay away from? He said, the Holy Ghost will be inside of you, either accusing you or excusing you. It's a law. It's literally the mind of God written in your heart that will guide you into all truth. And so that's the contrast. And so, so now... Jesus is leaving the earth. He is the initiator of the New Testament. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And he's already preached the gospel. And they're, they're asking him, okay, Lord, you're the Messiah. Are, are you about to restore the kingdom of Israel? And, and, and what, what should we be doing here? And, and now in Acts chapter one and verse four, and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So I want you to know the people that were standing at the, at the foot of the mountain as Jesus ascended off the Mount of Olives, they were believers. They were all believers, yet Nobody had received the Holy Ghost yet. Now, we talked about in the last session where Jesus explained to Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born again, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot see nor can you enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so you must be born of the spirit. The spirit of God must come inside of you. That's what it's talked about in scripture when it says being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, you are being born again of the Spirit. And so nobody had received it yet. And he's promising them that there's, it's coming. Go wait in Jerusalem. It's coming. You're going to receive the promise that I've given to you. And so 50 days after Passover, which parallels the giving of the law, 50 days after Passover in the Old Testament when they came out of Egypt, that's when the covenant was established. And now 50 days after the Passover lamb was crucified, Jesus Christ was crucified. Acts chapter two, verse one. Oh, man. 
It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, watch, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So for the first moment in Scripture, they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here's the deal. There is a place in the book of John, I'll let you look this up for homework, where Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And people say, well, they got the Holy Ghost there. Well, why would he tell them then that we're sitting at the, the, the foot of the mountain with him, go wait for the promise of the Father, where ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. That wasn't them receiving the Holy Ghost when he breathed on them. That was explaining to them what was about to happen to them because in the beginning of creation, the Bible says that God breathed into them the breath of life and man became a living soul. God God breathed into them his spirit. That's what makes us the image of God is the spirit that was inside of us. And so the creator in the beginning that was creating man for the first time breathed into them and they became a living soul. And so now the creator who is wrapped in flesh in the body of a son, Jesus Christ looks at people that are about to be new creations of the spirit. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy ghost. So it's a symbolism of what was about to happen. And then when they were at the foot of the mountain, they said, where are we going? What are we doing? He said, go wait, you're going to get the Holy ghost. You ain't got it yet, but you're going to get it. And it happened on the day of Pentecost for the first time, Acts chapter two, verse one through Verse four, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, I want you to notice the evidence God gave them that they had received the Holy Ghost. I think any quick reading of this, you would understand this is more than a good feeling. It's more than just an acquiescence, an acknowledgement of our faith. We believe Jesus and now we're filled. No, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. That's pretty, pretty visible evidence right there. It sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. I want you to notice the correlation between being filled and speaking. Being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them Utterance. So what is the evidence that the Holy Ghost fell here? Well, there was a sound from heaven in verse two as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house. There was a visual appearance of cloven tongues like as of fire that sat on them. And number three, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. Three different levels of evidence. So now we're gonna look at every time in the book of Acts where people were, were filled with the spirit for the first time. I want to go back to Acts chapter 8 in verse 14. So that was Acts 2. The next great outpouring we read about is in Acts chapter 8. Verses 14 through 19. I'm going to take a sip of my 
Fiji water in my new Christian Life broadcast mug. Excuse me. So delicious. Brother Alex Quinones uh, printed these up. You can get your merch now for Christian Life broadcast. These are only $400 a piece, if I remember correctly, to support the ministry. Yeah, only four. No, they're, they're much cheaper. You can get on the website. I want to thank Brother Alex and Brother Joe Salamita. Man, they are awesome. They're making this thing happen. We're having so much fun. Acts 8. So the next great outpouring. When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. You can be a believer and not have received the Spirit yet. God delivers from the tradition that says at the moment, I mean, we hear it every day you get on any church broadcast you want to. 500 churches to one. The moment you say, I believe, you're now saved. You're now filled with the Spirit. That is not Scripture. Who, when they were come down, verse 15, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had water baptism in Jesus' name, but not spirit baptism, which is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to notice something. It does not say they spoke with tongues in Acts chapter 8. It says it in Acts chapter 2. Doesn't say it in Acts chapter 8, but watch what it does say. And when Simon saw that through the length, everybody say Simon saw. This is where Simon says right here. And when Simon saw, cross that joke off the list. I don't want to use that ever again. Okay, make sure we don't, make sure we don't use that. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands, that he may receive the Holy Ghost. Listen, if receiving the Holy Ghost was just a good feeling, Simon, a sorcerer who excels in outward demonstration and just making people go, what just happened? Simon, the sorcerer could care less about this power to pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost if it was just an inward process. Something audible, Something visible, something powerful happened when the apostles laid their hands on him. It doesn't record what, it, what happens here. So let's go to the next place and see what it says. The moment people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Look with me in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. So uh, this is another example. If you look at the beginning uh, Acts chapter 10 and 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Watch this, a devout man. That means devoted. One that feared God with all his house. Whoa, this is a consecrated man, which gave away much alms to the people. He not only is devoted, he not only fears God, he's given away money. That's a believer if I've ever heard of one. And prayed to God always. How many American believers can say they pray to God always. He saw in a vision, he's having visions about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, an angel of God coming in into him. So this guy's devoted, fears God, gives away his money, prays to God always, sees visions, has angels coming to him, saying unto him, Cornelius, he's saying your prayers in verse four, your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Sounds like what happened in Acts chapter eight, where they had to call the apostles. Something's still missing 
in the life of Cornelius. He's a believer. He's devoted. He's giving away money. He's praying to God all the time. He's seeing angels. He's having visions. Something's still missing. Sin for Peter. Verse 6, he shall tell thee what thou ought to do. Cornelius had not received the Holy Ghost yet, even though he was a believer and had a whole list of reasons why the Christian world today would have said he would have been saved. I'm going to do something risky here. I want you to see if you can follow me. When Peter was explaining this to the disciples, because he had to explain why he went to an Italian's house. It was defilement to Jews. And he said in, in the next chapter, Acts eleven thirteen, he showed unto us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Watch, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house, what does that say right there? Shall be saved. He wasn't saved. My God have mercy. The Christian world today, if you saw an angel in the vision, you'd be on YouTube talking about how spiritual you are and, and my Lord have mercy. Except the Bible says he wasn't saved. He had to hear something else. What did he have to hear? Let's go down now into Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, Peter explained to them about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, not only just for Jews, but for Italians. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost for the first time fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, which means the Jews, which believed were astonished. Now, if it was just an inward process, a fuzzy feeling, a mental acquiescent, a mental acknowledgement that they were saved, why would the Jews be astonished? As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? Watch. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So they're watching these Gentiles. They're watching these Italians. And Peter's preaching to him. Jesus is the answer for the world today. No matter if you're a Jew, an Italian, black, white, yellow, gold, whatever you are, Jesus is the answer for your salvation. While Peter is preaching, Jesus is the Messiah. The Holy Ghost fell on him. What, what is that? Just a feeling? No, the Jews are like, oh my God, what is happening? That's what astonished means. Ah, look. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Watch what Peter says in verse 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Watch, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we, just like we did. When did Peter get the Holy Ghost? Day of Pentecost? Speaking in tongues. These guys got the Holy Ghost just like we did. We were out there speaking words we didn't understand. They're speaking words they don't understand. We cannot forbid water, and he commanded them to be baptized. Baptism's not optional. You can see the last episode for that. Okay, so let's look at the next place. The Holy Ghost is poured out to see if there's an outward evidence. Acts 19 and 1. This is 30 years later than Acts chapter 2. Because there is a there's an argument that comes up with this that says, well, you know, they were speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost to be a witness for the Jews. Uh, well, what about Acts chapter 10? That was Gentiles talking in tongues. And what about Acts chapter 19? This is 30 years later. Watch what it says. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. 
and finding certain disciples. What are disciples? People that are studying, people that believe, people that are following this teaching with all of their might. He found he didn't find certain unbelievers. He found believers. And he proves it with the next statement. And he said unto them, Acts 19 and 2, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Again, what's the precedent here? What's the lesson? Believing is separate from receiving. Believing, if you believe according to Scripture, as John 7, 37 says, believing should lead to receiving. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, until what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Now, at this moment, this is astounding to me. The attitude of these disciples is astounding and rec- uh, very commendable because they could have had this kind of bowing up in their spirit. You know, when you talk about this, people with tradition seem to bow up a little bit on you. They said, hey, who do you think you are, Apostle Paul? We were baptized by the greatest prophet that ever walked in shoe leather, John the Baptist. Jesus said, there's no greater prophet that's ever lived. They didn't say that. We were baptized unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly or verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized. You could say they got rebaptized. There's a lot of people that have been baptized that need to be rebaptized correctly. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Watch verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Sounds like what happened in Acts chapter 2. Sounds like what happened in Acts chapter 8. Sounds like what happened in Acts chapter 10. There's a lot of speaking in tongues going on here. Now, let's look at the the pattern that the scripture is showing us here. Acts chapter 2, fire, wind, speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 8, something crazy enough happened when they received the spirit that Simon, the very obnoxious sorcerer, wanted the power to do. It was audible, visible, something profound. Acts chapter 10, they spake with tongues and magnified God. Acts chapter 19, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. What's the common theme here? While there's many different signs of the initial receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the common theme among these outpourings of the Spirit was speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues speaking in tongues. It's repeated over and over. You know, when you look at Acts chapter eight, it's kind of like algebra, you know, solve for X. Two plus X equals four. You know, Acts two says two plus two equals four. Acts 10 says two plus two equals four. Acts 19 says two plus two equals four. Acts chapter eight says two plus X equals four. Well, what did Simon see? The same thing that astonished the people in the city streets of Jerusalem in Acts chapter two. What did Simon see? The same thing that astonished the Jews that were with Peter when he was preaching to Cornelius. They prophesied, they spoke with tongues, magnified, prophesied. There was an outward 
audible, visible sign they had received the Holy Ghost. So, so Pastor Campatello, why are you so fixated on talking in tongues? Well, the Bible is. The Bible is fixated on it. I want to explain to you why the initial evidence of the receiving the Spirit is speaking in tongues. James chapter 3 and verse 3. James chapter 3 and verse 3. Watch what the apostle said. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths. So you got the mouth of the horse that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. So the entire body is controlled by the mouth. Little location of control over a major powerful animal. Verse four uses another example. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great are and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. You got one little guy in front of a little wheel controlling this entire ship. What's he talking about? Verse five, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now watch what he says about the tongue. I love this because this is all of us. James 3 and 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, so that it defileth the whole body, setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and birds and serpents of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil full of deadly poison. Think of the worst beasts that are on this earth, every kind of beast. Lions, the king of beasts, elephants, we control elephants. We can literally put anything in a cage, but we cannot tame our tongue. Here is the principle. When God takes over your life and you let the spirit come into your body to be his living tabernacle. He takes over the one thing that no man will ever have control over, your tongue. That tongue speaking by the utterance of God, remember Acts 2 said, and they all spake with tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. It was the spirit giving them the ability to do this. That tongue by the power of God is God showing you as evidence, I've taken over the whole ship. Watch how I control the steering wheel. I've taken over the whole horse. Watch how I control the the mouth. When you speak in tongues, that is the evidence that the spirit of God has come into your body and you are now filled with the spirit. Praise God. I thank God that I have the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. I received it when I was 13 years old and went through some battles about it, trying to figure it out, trying to see if it was even real. It was at my imagination, had to dig into scripture, went on a long journey. And uh, boy, at 21, God released me into the reality of flowing in the spirit, speaking in tongues. And ever since that day, I have spoken in tongues every day of my life. And it is the greatest blessing to us. It is the greatest blessing. What is the blessing? Remember what Isaiah said, when you understand knowledge, 
when you understand doctrine, when you take from the scripture a piece of the picture here, a piece of the picture here, a piece of the precepts here, a piece of the precepts here, and you put it all together into one picture, colon, this is the rest which causes the weary to rest. With the stammering lips, I'm going to let you see it again. I'm going back. Isaiah 28, to whom he said in verse 12, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. That word refreshing is very important because it's a word that's repeated. It's a word that's repeated. Watch, after the Holy Ghost had fallen on the day of Pentecost, Peter's now preaching to the whole city because when they got the Holy Ghost, that's why Pentecostals are crazy because we have the Holy Ghost. We can't contain it in a building, y'all. It pushes us. There's something wild inside of us. It's fire. And the problem is on the day of Pentecost, the fire met the wind. There was a rushing mighty, the worst thing you can do for a fire is add wind to it. And when you get the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, it just wants to spread all over the place. And they burst out of that upper room. They're now dancing like drunken people in the streets. And so Peter is now preaching this gospel to Jerusalem. And he said in verse 18, Acts 3, 18, but those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets, including Isaiah, that Christ should suffer, Isaiah 53, he hath so fulfilled. Watch the wording. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing. There's that word. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. What is that? Stammering lips and another tongue. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, there is nothing more spiritual refreshing, spiritually refreshing, than letting God take over your entire body and release his voice out of your mouth to speak with another language. It is rest. It is refreshing. It's illogical, unreasonable, unsophisticating, unsophisticated, image-destroying. But here's the truth. You cannot embrace the image of God until you give up your image. And when you talk in tongues, your image is gone. You're going to look, people are going to look at you like you're funny. But this is the refreshing. God uses the silly stuff in the minds of people to demonstrate his power. It's foolishness to the wisdom of this world, but in the wisdom of God, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. So I want to, I hope you receive that. It's just so wonderful. There's, there's, there should be nothing in us that says, I don't want that. Uh, that's not something, my God, if it's available, say, Jesus, give it to me. I want this Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. I want to know what that refreshing is like. I live in the power of God because the Holy Ghost is alive inside of me and I release him out of my mouth every day of my life. And you can too, if you yield to his spirit. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm just saying, even if you've already believed as it was in Acts 2, as it was in Acts 8, as it was in Acts 10, they're not, he's a believer with angels, visions, money given away. I'm not saying you're not believers. I'm saying there's something else that's supposed to happen. And that is the infilling of the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I want to deal with some arguments about this. I want to deal with some, some arguments. And so one of the, 
one of the arguments that I have faced, and I, I want you to study this out. Um, obviously, if you're still watching, you, you're interested in this. So I would encourage you to study this out for yourself. One of the arguments I receive is uh, Pastor Campitello, what about the thief on the cross? Thief on the cross never got baptized and he never got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. He just believed on Jesus. You can find this in Luke chapter 23 in verse 42. This is kind of the end of the story. One of the thieves said, if you're really the Messiah, come down and get us off. But the other thief who's dying said, don't you fear God? We're in the same type of judgment and we, we're receiving the just uh, the just recompense of our reward. He's innocent. And he looks at Jesus in verse 42. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In Luke 23 and 43, and Jesus said unto him, I, Jesus is so merciful. He's suffering the greatest agony any human has ever suffered. And yet he still has the presence of mind and the burden for the loss to look at someone on his side and say, I'm going to save you. Jesus said unto him, Verily, truly, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Was the thief on the cross really saved? Yes. One hundred percent saved. He never spoke in tongues. He never got baptized in Jesus' name. Yet he was saved. But his path to salvation does not apply to us because he was Old Testament. He was Old Testament. The Old Testament, even though when you're turning in your Bible and you go to that first page in the book of Matthew and it says the New Testament, that is still not the New Testament. The New Testament does not begin until Jesus died and rose again. It's all Old Testament until Jesus dies and rises again. Every word spoken, every salvation, every miracle, it's all. Now, it was the prep, right? It was the preparation for the New Testament. But under the record, under the, the Testament categories, all that falls under the Old Testament. Let me show you. Hebrews 9 explains this to us. And there's a whole list of things that the writer of Hebrews is saying, all this all the blood and uh, of goats and, and the sacrifices that were done in the first Testament were just a parallel for the, the one that would be crucified. Hebrews nine sixteen for where a Testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. The one who writes the Testament must die. Verse 17, for a Testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Until Jesus died, it's all Old Testament. When you think of the word testament, it's like last will and testament. My, my father has told me nine million times when he dies, I hope he, in Jesus' name, let him live until the Lord comes. But when he dies, I get all his books. He's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. I don't get those books right now. You know why? He's still alive. And everything the Old Testament promised that was coming, they don't get that until the one who wrote the will dies. The one who wrote the Testament. For a Testament is of force after men are dead. The thief on the cross is not an argument 
that you can receive the Spirit without speaking in tongues because he was Old Testament. You must receive the Spirit speaking in tongues. Let me tell you another argument I've heard. Uh, It's called the doctrine of cessation. The doctrine of cessation says, well, all that was for a time period only, but it's all ended now. That's kind of the extreme stop for all demonstration, all signs, wonders, and miracles. That was for them. That was just to prove, to get that gospel going. God gave it a supernatural boost, but... But uh, when the Bible came together, when the Bible was canonized, it didn't happen anymore. They used this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 8, it says, Charity, your love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Tongues are going to stop. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that, which is per, was, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, the cessationists say that this is in reference to the canonization of Scripture. They were compiling the Scripture. And the reason why there was so much miracles and demonstration and supernatural power is because they didn't have the Scripture to, to kind of detail all this. But when the Scripture came, there was no more need for signs, wonders, and miracles. I want to tell you today, Paul is not talking about the canonization of scripture. His very next words prove it. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Watch, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then, now we have the now and then, right? The now is in part, the then is perfect. When that which is perfect is come. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And here's what destroys that whole idea that it was talking about the canonization of scripture. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Paul said, when that which is perfect is come, I shall know no longer in part. I shall know even as also I am known. Here's the problem with cessationism. The canonization of scripture happened after the death of Paul. So that means Paul's saying something here that he never got to experience. Then shall I know, even as also I am. Paul wasn't even done writing scripture. So it is a dark tradition to say canonization of scripture is that which is perfect, which is coming. That is a, an incorrect assumption about what is being taught here. When that which is perfect is come, he's talking about the next life. He's talking about paradise. He's talking about leaving this world and entering the next world, the kingdom of God on earth. There's no more in part. This is also why tongues shall cease because there's no more flesh that resists the will of God. We're going to have glorified bodies. You don't need God to remind you over and over, I've got your tongue. That means your body's in control. I can get your body in control. You won't need that anymore. 
We're going to have a body that's totally submitted to him. Right now, we have a body. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So this speaking in tongues is a constant reminder. There is a power working inside of you that can take over every member of your body and bring every, if I can bring your tongue under subjection, I can bring every thought under subjection. I can bring every member under subjection. We won't need that when that which is perfect has come. Our body's going to be glorified. You won't even need a heart and metabolism and blood. We're going to be alive by the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. Not the doctrine of cessationism. That is incorrect. I want to tell you, speaking in tongues is for today. The demonstration of the power of God is for... Folks, I've seen the I've seen the dead raised in front of my face. I've seen tumors disappear in front of my face. I have seen blind eyes open. I have seen demons cast out. And watch, watch what the Bible says. Now, this is, this is, so that's kind of the extreme version. Cessationism is, there's no more any of that stuff at all. It's just all knowledge. You just live in the word of God and it's just all head knowledge and you just read it and live That's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul said that would be a manifestation of the last day spirit. They will have a form of godliness, but deny the power. Can you be any more clear? The doctrine of cessationism. So here's, then there's the group that says, well, tongues is not the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. It is actually just a gift that some people with the Holy Ghost get and some people don't get. One of the scriptures that's used in this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30. Look at this with me. 1 Corinthians 12 and 30. This is Paul speaking. Have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues. Do all interpret. So he's, he's saying very clearly that there's going to be believers that don't speak in tongues. There's going to be people saved that don't speak in tongues. There's going to be people saved that do speak in tongues. Wait a minute. Remember, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You cannot just take this verse and form a doctrine that says everybody does not speak in tongues. You can still be saved. You can still be filled with the Spirit, but you might not be a tongue talker. Let's see what the Bible says in another line. Mark 6, Mark 16, in verse 17, this is the Great Commission according to the, uh, uh, the perspective of Mark. I'm going to start with verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Watch. And these signs shall follow only some of them that believe. Wait a minute. These signs shall follow them. Them, everybody that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Believers across the board, if you believe as the scripture hath said. That's the key. A lot of believers in Jesus, but not as the scripture hath said, according to John chapter 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man 
thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me as the scripture hath said. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus, but not as the scripture hath said. But if you are a believer as the scripture hath said, you will speak with new tongues. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Campitella. It also says they'll cast out devils. I've never cast out devils. You don't have to lay hands on people to cast out devils. When you're full of the Holy Ghost and you go to the mall, devils are being cast out. When you're full of the Holy Ghost and you go to your job, devils are being cast out. When you're full of the Holy Ghost and you step out into public, devils are being cast out. You may have never laid hands on someone or spoken that word over them, that dramatic leave them right now in Jesus' name, but you full of the spirit with the evidence of talking in tongues, when you go into this world, you, there's greater in you than he that's in the world. He's got to move away. He's got to be cast out of his position. Yes, you have cast out devils. You just don't even know it. Yes, you have. And so, so we have in one place, Paul saying, do all speak with tongues? Jesus in Mark 16, 17 says, believers shall speak with tongues. What is it talking about? Well, when you study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said in verse one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And he goes down the giftings that are given to the body. To one is given, to another is given, to another. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, gift of faith, gift of prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these different things are given. And then he says, do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? I want to tell you, this speaking in tongues is different than the initial evidence that happens of speaking in tongues when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice what Paul calls this. This is verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 12. To another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, many types of tongues. This is next level speaking in tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. I want you to notice what else he says. I'm going to start in verse eight. For to one is given by the spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. Watch this. To another, verse nine, faith by the same spirit. So there's the gift of faith. And then there's another kind of faith. Let me show you the other kind of faith. Romans 12 and three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Watch, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every man has faith. Everybody. But then there is the gift of faith. There's the measure of faith given to everybody. Then there's the gift of faith. What's he talking about? There are next level tools you can have after you receive the initial Holy Ghost that will take your walk with God to a whole new level. There's the tongues you get when you get the Holy Ghost, but then there's many types of tongues you can get after you get the Holy Ghost. There is faith that you can have 
to receive the Holy Ghost because you cannot come to God without faith. He that cometh to God must believe. So you can't even get the Holy Ghost without faith. There's that, and then there's the gift of faith. Let me tell you how we know that this is exceptional and not ordinary. In verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul said, but covet earnestly the best gifts. That word covet means to burn zealously for, to hotly pursue. This is something you are going after with all of your might. Why would you have to do that if it was free? This is something you're seeking after, after you have the gift of the Holy Ghost. So there's the gift of tongues, but there's the initial evidence of speaking in tongues that you receive when you get the Holy Ghost. And that prayer language will stay with you for the rest of your life, whether or not you have this next level, diverse kinds of tongues. So what makes us different? What makes us different? We are different from so many other churches and that we say, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you're going to know it, not just through faith and just saying, I claim it, it's happened, it's done. Not from a fuzzy feeling. When you get the Holy Ghost, we say, which makes us different, you will speak with tongues as they did in Acts 2. You will speak with tongues as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 28. You will speak with tongues as they did in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. You will speak with other tongues. Because as James taught us, God is showing you in that moment, he's taken over your whole life by taking over the one thing you'll never have control over, and that's your tongue. We love you. Jesus loves you. And at Christian Life Center, we want to testify again that this Christian life is the best life. Go live it with all your might. Line up with scripture and watch God do the most amazing things you've ever seen in your life. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. See you soon.